Welcome to Unleash. We're all being transformed every day. The big question is by who to become what? So today we're going to consider hope and despair and how we are shaped by them. It's interesting to note that experts who've devoted their lives to studying the human condition will tell us that hope is essential for human life. I've been around long enough to have put my hope in many things, and many of them, I might even accurately say most, have left me disappointed in some way. So today, I want to posit one statement and then follow it by a true story of Irga and Dan involving hope and despair. And I hope, uh, no pun intended, that this story will kind of put skin on the everyday part in life of this statement. So you ready for this statement? Here it is. Whatever you attach your hope to, that will direct your life. It's worth saying again, whatever you attach your hope to, that will direct your life. So here's the story of Irga and Dan. Irga was a 21-year-old college student. She was quiet quiet and definitely on the shy side. She tried to be friendly and was kind of a tender-hearted person, but some sort of quiet, hidden wound made her really afraid to seek out others. All through her young life and in her teens, she was basically just friends with whoever pursued her. And you know, people can very easily gravitate to the really talkative, entertaining, um, fun-loving people, which she was too shy to actually even think about living like that. So in college, she had a randomly assigned roommate that was just that sort of very boisterous, outgoing, super friendly, confident, and highly opinionated type, and her name was Ruby. Ruby came from a wealthy family. Her dad owned a jewelry store and um, quite honestly and ironically, Ruby wore earrings and necklaces and rings and bracelets that were made with beautiful and real diamonds and of course, rubies, right? She seemed to feel at home wherever she went. So though Irga and Ruby were opposites, And perhaps no one was more um, aware of the really conspicuous differences between them than Irga. So here it is, another chapter of a similar story of Irga being present, but feeling like she didn't really fit in. She didn't really have that sense of belonging. And she, though she and Ruby were on friendly terms and Irga was friendly with other dorm mates, she had a tendency to keep more to herself. Lots of acquaintances, but not wanting to risk being actually known. So obviously she didn't develop any super close friendships. True to Irga's childhood, she had grown up with this sense of accepting um, an identity for herself that she was expected to be and supposed to be like diligent, faithful, reliable, and never cause commotion or problems for other people. So she quietly attended classes, worked part-time in the medical school library on campus, and was really kind of, the job was quiet and boring, but at least it was comfortable for her. 
So life was kind of fine. You know how we say that sometimes people ask, how are you? And you're like, fine. So, you know, kind of good, kind of bad. Irga was agreeable for the most part and got along fine and managed to squeak by financially fine, except that she had this really gnawing, unnamed undercurrent of wondering where did she belong? She desperately desired to be wanted, pursued, to be seen and loved, but not knowing where she belonged in the sense of belonging in deep acceptance and community. But something, though she got along with everybody, there was definitely something missing. She did have some dating relationships, but didn't seem to be great communication. The expectations of the guys left her feeling like she had given away parts of herself that left her with regret and in a way, a real sense of betraying herself. And honestly, those relationships were deeply unsatisfying to her. Interestingly, her name, Irga, means craving or yearning. It suited her. She longed both to be known and loved, but feared that if people really knew her, would they still love and accept her if she was her true self rather than the person she thought she was supposed to be to make everyone else's life easier or better? Well, a couple years into college, Irga started volunteering weekly at a free clinic. So every Monday night, she would get in her little Volkswagen bug and drive to a nearby town. And she really enjoyed the work at the clinic, uh, the camaraderie with the other volunteers. And after a year, she actually um, became pretty good friends with some of the people there. One of the gals, also a Monday night volunteer, was Cora super friendly, really outgoing. She lived really close to the clinic with her boyfriend, who was a medical student, same medical school where Irga worked in the library. So Cora just relentlessly pursued Irga to, she was so interested in setting Irga up with her boyfriend's anatomy partner. And she kept saying, Oh, come on, Irga, come to our house. It'll just be the four of us. It'll be super fun. I'm a really good cook. It'll be a great evening. And after great persistence on Cora's part, Irga reluctantly, finally, agreed, even though she really expected the evening was going to be a disaster. But as the evening started, she arrived, and, and Dan actually seemed like a really nice guy. They hit it off. He seemed kind and was intelligent, was kind of a, an understated wit, and he was definitely pleasant to be around, um, a nice-looking guy, and Irga thought, hmm, maybe. And so they started dating. As their relationship blossomed, she, Irga thought she had finally found what she had desperately been seeking, which is a, a meaningful, satisfying relationship where she felt um, known and still desired, where she had a sense of belonging. For a, a young woman who 
had always felt kind of just outside the center of relationships and friendships. This was really exciting. And she placed her hope that in this relationship, that it would make her feel complete and safe to, to finally be one who belonged. A couple years later, after Dan had graduated medical school, Irga and Dan gathered, inviting all their family and friends, and pledged to spend their lives together for better or worse, till death do they part. And when they talked about and dreamed about their life together, sometimes it was so sweet and wonderful. But there were other times where, even before they said, I do, things started changing sometimes between them. You see, Dan started asking probing questions about Irga's past. She had done things that she felt shame about, and he kept poking those places. Irga didn't want to be honest. She didn't want to be known. She didn't think it was safe. So she started putting these incremental layers, walls, to armor up and protect her heart. And the thing that makes no sense is that somehow she still clung to the hope that this relationship would be the fulfillment of what she had longed for in terms of belonging, to feel safe and special and worthy of love. But as he kept poking those tender parts, those conversations intensified. Now, you might be listening to this going, what is wrong with this girl? Why is she ignoring these warning signs? You see, when we really hope in something, we don't, it, it directs the decisions we make and how we live. So her hope was really anchored to this relationship. She trusted that this relationship was going to deliver her version of the good life to her. So much so that it prompted her to ignore the red flags. She honestly thought that Dan was her only hope to be married because he was the pers first person who seemed to have really pursued her for her. So for these inexplicable and hidden reasons, she decided, if Dan doesn't marry me, well then no one's going to marry me. Think about how much confusion was that Erica was just awash. I mean, how could she allow her hope in one object to be the source of fulfillment of the good life and also be the source of her greatest heartache? As one day rolled into the next, there were some very sweet, wonderful times but there were regularly things happening that she was aware that life really wasn't quite the way it was supposed to be. And this was especially true for Irga when Dan reminded her of how she didn't measure up in his eyes. Well, why did that even matter so much to her? Except that she really didn't measure up in her own eyes either. But seeing as how she had tethered her hope to for a good life to this relationship 
and because she really didn't know what else to do or where to turn or who to talk to. She had always believed that to be loved and to belong was going to be the greatest source of just meaning and purpose and joy. She didn't know what else to hope in, and so she continued hoping in this relationship. But on many, many days, that hope waned, because really over time, Dan became more demanding. He worked to isolate her from her family and friends, and he would repeatedly tell her how none of them actually really loved her. Of course, he was the only one that did. Along with criticisms Dan would speak to her came an increasing desire on his part to control and manipulate. Dan was the oldest of three kids, and his mom had was a stay-at-home mom, and she loved being at home, and she adored her kids. And while she was busy at home raising kids, Dan's dad got busy too with his dental assistant. After a long time, the affair came to light, and in Dan's words, his dad abandoned him and his siblings and his mom for his new wife and started a new family. Lots of people have written about father wounds. Whatever was churning within Dan, he began to talk about his cheating dad who abandoned them. And it was like gasoline on this fire within Dan so that he started expressing his anger in more manipulative and controlling behaviors towards Irga. She tried so hard to, like, be good and not do things that she thought would make him angry. Irga felt desperate to make things better, but she didn't know how. What she hoped for in belonging and meaning didn't deliver, and what she expected to be beautiful and satisfying had become a terrifying nightmare that she had a growing desperation to escape. A lot could be said about this relationship, but for our purposes, we're going to focus on the issues specifically of despair and hope. One weekend, Dan's anger was just seething. An ugly argument culminated in a few moments of horror, where Dan literally choked Irga. Before letting go of her neck, He threatened worse would happen to her if she didn't comply with his demands, which were basically all the ways that he was going to control her life. So the weekend ends, and Monday morning arrives. Irga slowly got ready for work and did all her normal things to take a shower and fix her hair and put on makeup and get dressed in her business attire. But she was numb. When she arrived at work and sat down at her desk, her friend Pamela started to ask as she normally would, hey, how was your weekend? When suddenly Pamela stopped, looked really intently at Irga and said, what is wrong? Because you are definitely not okay. Through tears, Irga shared what happened. Pamela listened, stunned and had no idea what to say. 
Irga sat there thinking she was 27 years old. Her biggest hope was shattered. She felt terrified and just felt herself dissolving into a deep hopelessness, a sense of brokenness and loneliness, of despair, which choked her more than Dan's hands. After listening and a long pause, Pamela said two things. First, she said, I know this might sound crazy, but I think what you need is Jesus. Irga was stunned because Pamela's words did sound crazy to her. What in the world was she talking about? Irga had already found that a great many of the various things she had hoped in had disappointed her, and she really didn't know what to think about what Pamela had said. But Pamela went on to share the second thing, and she said to Irga, you need to be safe. So at lunch, we're taking your car and mine, and we're going to get your stuff, and you're going to move to my apartment. And that's what they did. And the next day, as they commuted on the busy freeway, 40 minutes to work, together, listening to a pastor teaching on the radio, and that pastor had inspired those crazy words that Pamela said to Irga. Something was happening in her life, but Irga had no clue what. The chaotic circumstances of her life were like this great brooding storm of confusion and all of the thoughts and emotions were these like billows breaking on her of like worry and fear and anxiety. And failure tends to foster this in us. In our Western cultures, many things are held out to us as sources of hope. Things that are billed as wonderful and capable of holding the promise of fulfillment, of deep meaning and purpose, and to give us a sense of accomplishment or of belonging. It might be success. It might be notoriety. It might be a comfortable lifestyle. You and I can each fill in the blank of what we have believed and hoped in. Which takes us back to our statement from the opening, that what you place your hope in will set the direction of your life. Hope for you and I is always connected to a person or a thing and always holds an expectation of some kind of outcome. Hope is always anchored to what you or I trust to fix what, what's painful or missing in our lives. And the reality is that we're always counseling ourselves around whatever it is we've fixed our hope to, rehearsing the things that we believe that thing will accomplish for us. And what we attach our hope to um, is perhaps the most important thing about us. And that true story of Dan and Irga is the true story of someone I know very well of their first marriage. And when the marriage crumbled into ruins, it left her in this dungeon of deep despair. You see, when what we hope in fails us in any way, 
especially when the failure is where our our highest hope has been anchored. When failure comes and our hopes are dashed, we we shrink under this weight of what what's next? What what do others think of us? Like kind of we wince under the thoughts we imagine of other people's criticisms and judgments and thinking less of us. Very eloquent writers have devised beautiful ways to express stories of how our greatest tragedies can become a doorway of hope. And that was certainly true for Irga. Distilling life to its most basic parts, there's really just two places that we can search for hope. It's either in the creator or in something created. Like the latter part is just basically all the things we experience in life at street level. For hope to never uh, disappoint, it must be a hope that endures regardless of circumstances of life. So in her own time of desperation and despair, Irga actually did find hope. For the first time, she found hope in Jesus, and hope in him is unlike any other hope. And I hope you'll stick with me for just a minute because hope in Jesus is nothing like hoping in relationships or a situation or things that we could achieve or acquire. And it's not the vague hope of just doing religious stuff or religious activity and hope that somehow we get hope. It's not the fleeting kind of hope of things that can be lost, whether by divorce, death, fire, natural disasters, economic disasters, um, any other catastrophe in life. So many people have described Jesus over the years as being a good man or a good teacher. They kind of go, yeah, okay, I'm good with Jesus. He's a good man. In reality, he came and clearly declared himself to be God, which means he can't be a good teacher. Because either he is who he says he is, and he is God, or he's a liar, because he isn't actually God. So either way, he doesn't fall into the category of just being a good guy. Many eyewitnesses wrote of ways that Jesus demonstrated his authority over everything that he created, whether it was turning water into wine or multiplying loaves of bread and feeding thousands or healing diseases or restoring sight to eyes that had been blind or movement to limbs. He even could speak a word and instantly a raging sea would be calm and he could raise a dead body back to life. This is one who proved that he is infinite who became human and willingly subjected him to death on a cross. And this is the one Irga's friend Pamela was telling her she needed. He knowingly came on purpose to give us that true and lasting hope of a restored relationship with God, to know his hope abundantly in this life and into the next one. To learn that that hope in Jesus is intensely personal. 
It's profoundly deeper, and it's the only source of hope which can never be overcome, right? Because a hope in Jesus is a hope that endures in spite of any circumstances you face in life. So whatever it is you hope in to guard your soul when life is confusing, painful, difficult, is what you hope in able to sustain you when life doesn't make sense. Because if what you hope in only works when life is good, that is not a reliable or a sturdy hope. A hope in Jesus is a hope in an actual person who is fully God and fully man. And he came, not only came to earth, but he also proved the extravagance of his love by sacrificing his life and offering it for all who would believe in him. And he is able to bring you safely into eternity with himself where your hope is fulfilled, where there's fullness of joy forever. He is the source of the one unchanging, enduring hope. So knowing whatever you attach your hope to will direct your life, choose wisely in who or what you attach your ultimate hope As we close, I want to encourage you, if you found value in any of this, I invite you to click subscribe, maybe share it with a friend, and perhaps even uh, post a review um, if you have time to help maybe others find this podcast. Well, that's it for today. So until next time.